I think when I talk to my grandchildren and who are now college and uh, late high school, I explain to them how little (laughs) that we actually contribute to the world. What we should concentrate on is what we do rather than what everyone else does. Instead of judging this other person, regardless of age, instead of judging them, just accept them and hope that they accept you because each of us have our quirks too, you know, and we tr- I don't want to impose them on you or your audience. I don't. I, I just want them to have as good a life as they can possibly have. And I only know that you can do that without violence. Seniors to seniors, whether a senior in college or senior in your mature years, the common denominators of every stage of life is explored as host Robert J. LaCosta interviews seniors about how they got to where they are and how they are continuing to crush it in their mature years. LaCosta is known as the senior editor because he has interviewed seniors for the past three decades and is perhaps the longest running writer in this narrowest of niches. This podcast affords him the opportunity to pass along the same sagely wisdom that he has received from elders and has admired during his 30s, 40s, 50s, and now. LaCosta is a board-certified hearing instrument specialist who has helped over 10,000 seniors overcome hearing impairments. He draws deeply from the intimacy and privilege of those relationships. And now, It's time for The Age Sage. Hey, it's Robert LaCosta, your senior editor. The Sage is next to me on The Age Sage. It's Bob Messer. Bob is 86. We're in upstate New York, um, just south of Albany, New York. We're in the hill country here. It's beautiful and a beautiful day. And uh, we're uh, talking, as you can kind of um, sense, uh, in the background is Bob's shop. And Bob has been woodworking most of his life, but now he's entered into a new phase uh, as a retiree the last uh, 20-something years, and uh, he was on the railroad and learned everything. There are a lot of what you can learn about uh, working on the railroad. And now he's at a different phase in his life, and I think this might be great for our young listeners and older listeners alike. Uh, Bob, welcome to the Age Sage. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. And uh, first of all, one of the things that drew us together just uh, recently was um, uh, building a toy chest for um, someone very special to me, my my granddaughter. And you've done this for all your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And uh, any greats? Yes, some. Some, some great-grandchildren. Uh, describe the size of it. How how wide is it, for one? It's, a, it's tw- about 26 inches wide. It's about eight, 16, actually 16 and a half inches uh, front to back. And the depth is about uh, 16 inches, too? 16 inches. And it's like, it's perfect. And one of the things, um, when you're designing these, it, it just comes to you in your head, which is 
very difficult for some of our listeners and people like me mm-hmm. to how does he how does he do that? But one of the things you think about is if it's big enough for maybe the kid to crawl into. Yes. Well, in other words, they ought to be able to jump in and not break down through the cardboard bottom. Yeah. Well, because that, it doesn't have a cardboard bottom. It well, we're not, talk, we're not talking about a big box, big box. <laughs> no, no, it's a toy box. It's a toy box that was built to last generations. And um, that's one of the things um, that you is um, important to you is that something – be of value. And if something is of value, perhaps as the child grows older, they'll, they'll enjoy it as they're young, but they may not remember it. But as they grow older, something as simple as a toy chest actually becomes more profound. Talk about that. Well, it, it's a possession. It's a possession that most things that we possess, we get rid of. We throw it away take it to the dump, throw it out with the trash or whatever. But a toy box... Or but it, let me interrupt you. Even including some very pricey things oh, yes. that we possess. Oh, yes. A car that we might have purchased, we thought, oh, my God, how am I going to afford the payments? Oh, yeah. And it, at some point, it's yep. toast. It's history. Yep. But yep. not a toy chest. Right. Well, it's. I think it's because when you put your hands in it and actually form it, yourself you buy into it you could say that about anything if you were talking to a pastor who plants a church and he with his own sweat and blood over 20 30 40 years a missionary you could say that about a businessman who starts from a literally a garage and he does it with his own sweat of the brow it's more valuable yes I, I mean, I've built so many different things, and some of it, of course, I, I never see again. I, I, I've seen this. But the audience should know we're talking dozens and dozens and dozens of projects. Oh, yeah. Not just maybe right. a dozen. Right. I, well, if my daughter, I have a daughter that lives in Las Vegas, her and her husband, and they needed cabinetry that didn't fall apart. And things, <laughs> even though the house is probably only about 30 or 40 years old, it was deteriorating and they had some storm damage. Well, they called and said, Dad, would you build the cabinets we need? And I said, yes, but I can't afford to ship cabinets from here to Vegas. I mean, you know, I... We do live on a income, on a budget. Well, do know? a house call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, when I was traveling more, I actually did take trailer with an organ. Oh, now here we go off on another tangent. Excuse well, let's go. Let's go back to the cabinets. How the heck did you do that from up New York or Maine to Las Vegas? How did that happen? Well, I said, just give me the measurements of the space that you want to fill. And I wound up doing like, uh, I've forgotten now, but I, I will guess uh, 18 or 20 cabinets, a kitchen, and then two or three bathrooms cabinets and medicine cabinets and that sort of stuff how did you ship it well what i 
uh, what I wound up doing was they I got a pod. Oh, sure. And they put it out here, and I filled it up. And I got one question for you. And they paid for that. Was it within a quarter inch, a half inch? I mean, did, was there any problems with the measurements? Well, they gave, my daughter made them, and of course, I feel she's intelligent enough to measure. And I said, I got to be within a quarter of an inch of what you need to install. And uh, out of the, I, I think it's 18 or 19 cabinets, out of those, one did not fit. It was measured by them by a half an inch. And so it was a quarter of an inch too big to fit in. Yeah. And I built another <laughs> another four to replace now that's, that. That's with. a father's heart right there. Yeah. Now, um, when um, <laughs> people are um, young, uh, they're on a fast track normally. I mean, if it's not schooling, it's um, – career if it's not career it's family if it's not just that it's both sometimes some extracurricular activities or community work or if they're of a faith community they just don't think the way a senior thinks is there anything that a senior thinks that a young person could think well i think when i talk to my grandchildren and who are now college and uh, late high school, I explained to them how little (laughs) that we actually contribute to the world. What we should concentrate on is what we do rather than what everyone else does. Instead of judging this other person, regardless of age, instead of judging them, accept them. Just accept them and hope that they accept you because each of us have our quirks too, you know, and we, I don't want to impose them on you or your audience. I don't. I, I just want them to have as good a life as they can possibly have. And I only know that you can do that without violence. Now, if all the young people that are listening would think about what you just said it's kind of profound because you just said they should concentrate on what they could contribute bob that's getting more and more difficult with social media because they're seeing literally in a week's time uh, i know one 14 year old has told me he's literally watched tens of thousands of videos because they're only six seconds 20 second snippets so over a decade he he's probably right maybe he's seen a hundred thousand videos he's seen what a lot of other people are doing and i wonder what that how that does shape his own identity and his own mission in life i wonder if that's harder for his generation to figure out what they want to do and what their unique contribution is and what their own life mission is versus like all these thousands of other messages they're getting through social media exactly you're you're right on you're right on the money when you think in this way. The object is to allow individuals, all of them, regardless of what religion they are or what color they are or what nationality, if you can ignore all that hogwash and just treat them as you want to be treated, with respect, with dignity. I don't want you bowing and scraping to me. Or I just... Accept me as I am because this is it. 
86 years is what you get. I. You mean you're not trying to be like the other person on Facebook, Bob? Right. Oh, I'm not, and I am not. I really am not. It's crazy because I believe that it's like religion. Let's get into a little bit of religion and how we got where I am. I can remember being a Nazarene. I think that was the first real religion that I was approached with. And the reason was they had a bus. They had an old bus, that, an old reel that would go by the front of the farm, mm-hmm. and they'd pick up any children or whatever that wanted to go to the church. Well, I and my brothers and some of my sisters We'd do anything to get a ride. My good God, the best we ever had was a cow, and a cow doesn't ride well. <laughs> However, I, so I could become a Nazarene. And then the Baptist people had a place, and they had a GMC bus. <laughs> well, these are the important things in theology. Yes. GMC, Ford, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I'm just telling you that I became a Baptist. It's it's very difficult for a young person listening right now to kind of identify the excitement that you might have had as a young person oh. seeing not a horse, but something with horsepower. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, exactly. I, 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 my dad actually grew up with horses and then Model Ts. Yeah. And it's very difficult now, you know, 100 years later, for yep. young people to envision the excitement that you could have felt. Yeah. So... We're, we're, we're talking this with a, a, a little tongue-in-cheek here, but uh, go on about how that formed, uh, you know, your philosophical uh, faith base. Well, I, I just, it's hard to explain to my grandchildren, I know that. It's hard for me to explain to them that you could go a day or two before someone passed by your farm or your house. It was a dirt road. It was a dirt road. And and every once in a while, of course, the mailman would come by, and he had an automobile. Well, let's again contrast that to today for a yeah. young listener. A young listener could really possibly see hundreds, maybe a thousand images yeah. in a day. Yeah, and you didn't see a car go by for a couple of days. Yeah, exactly. I wonder was, what that does to the psyche, what you experience and what they're experiencing right now. Well, I, I, with me, it was, we, it was a big family, you know, 13 of us, uh, and plus my mother and father. And then, of course, there's aunts and uncles and all of that sort of thing. However, a big deal with us was the gardens. We had gardens that we had to maintain. It didn't matter whether you were five years old or six or seven. It, you you worked out there in that garden to produce the crops that fed us because it all was either canned or preserved or whatever. It just, that's how we survived. And I mean, because there was no money. They, nobody had any money as far as I don't remember ever having even changed until I was seven and it it was all work. Well, that's another thing. Um, obviously, today we have a farm-to-table mentality that it's as if this generation discovered that 
<laughs> farm to table we used to be on the farm yeah <laughs> and yeah. it was about 30 feet into the kitchen but also let's get back to the money you're saying you didn't even have a nickel or oh uh, so oh. so today a, a kid could have a credit card he could literally order Amazon or anything he wants. Oh, yes. He yeah. could also go to the mall if his mom drops him off, say he's 12, 14 years old, drops off. He could go into any store, basically buy the equivalent of having, say, a couple hundred bucks in his pocket. Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. This, this is a tremendous contrast to what you grew up with. Yes, and that's what I – I'm not saying it was better or worse. I'm just saying it was it's how you approach that. You either become a part of that world you live in and grow into the one that we uh, aspire to, that you begin to realize how important belief and dependence on religion, as I, my best friend, see, is God. And it's quite demanding if you just try to treat everybody else like you like to be treated. How, how would uh, faith play into really not being able to go to the store with a credit card? How would faith play into, you know, day by day picking a tomato or cucumber? Yeah. How, how, you have to trust God for rain, um, I mean, it's so many things you have to trust, whereas today you really don't necessarily need to think about God or a higher power if there's a listener that doesn't necessarily believe in a specific God. If they have a credit card in their hand, they really don't need to believe, have a faith. Not, it's not quite as necessary. Uh, I, I think maybe it's just if my theory is right, you see, is can you survive without anybody else? See, you can't. You cannot survive if everybody else is gone. All right? Now, can you survive with everybody else? No, you can't. They can't survive with it because we just make mistakes. We misuse or abuse the things that we come in contact with. And that's where I say you must be aware of what you're doing in your world, your life, and don't waste it. Because 86 years now, and I love it more now than ever, but I'm ready to go today. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're not getting everything out of this world that you think is right, then make it right. Yeah. What about um, fellow seniors? Say you were talking to an audience of, say, 20 or 30 seniors right now, and uh, maybe they were a little younger than you, or maybe they're your peers. Um, how do you spend properly, fruitfully, uh Rewarding-wise, the 60 to 90 years of age, 60 to 100, how do you, that, that phase of your life, how do, you, how do you spend that properly? How do you finish strong? By doing what 
you really want to do. What's uniquely yours to do? Yeah. Whatever it is. Doesn't matter. You could mow the lawn. You could sweep the driveway or, or grow some carrots or whatever. You name it. You put the limits on everything in your life that no one else does. Does culture put a limit on us when they say seniors should be, you know, have a second house down the shore, seniors should be in an RV, seniors should be on the golf course, seniors should be um, exploring the world, seniors should be on the next jet to um, Italy or (laughs) (laughs) wherever, South Africa, Central America, climbing the Andes, discovering the pyramids. Does culture... um, does culture define uh, what a senior thinks they should be doing in the 60 to 100-year range? It shouldn't. I think it does, but I, it shouldn't. I can remember recently, recently being within the last 10 years, of being on a tractor with a backhoe and a b- bucket on the front and a grandson sitting on the seat between my legs, running the piece of equipment. I mean, moving the levers and doing the things that make it do what it was. But he was doing that at four. He was doing it at four years old. He couldn't, I'd go out to go do something and he'd come out. Well, I would stop and put him on with me and go and we'd, he would stay there as long as I did doing whatever it was that we were doing, whether it was digging tree stumps or cleaning the brook out or whatever. Now, what I'm saying was that I was enjoying this probably much more than he was, although he was the one that instigated it. He loved it. He thought that was the best thing that happened since sliced bread. But you weren't getting sucked into what the AARP newsletter said you should be doing at 10 years ago. You were in your 70s. You should be on a trip. Yeah. You should be doing that. You you were just yep. doing what you wanted to do. Right. But I also did, the, also did the trip. Yeah. And I also did all the other things that people do. Uh, however, it's so much more enjoyable to do things that's not asked of you. Mm. That, yeah. Come from the heart. Yeah. I, uh, now I got to drop back to the toy box. I don't know how many I've made. It's more than I can measure in my head, but it's at least several dozen, all right? Because some people, if if there was a neighbor or there was whatever, if they, I, I'd hand it to them. And each one was special. Each one has an identification, okay, that... Is done for that individual child. And that was part one of a two-part series with guest Bob Messer. So thank you so much for tuning in to this series right here on The Age Sage. For more episodes, go to any major podcast platform. It's The Age Sage with your host and the senior editor, Robert J. LaCosta. LaCosta.